0: And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, The Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about Vacations. Welcome. Uh, I'm Arthur Frommer. And I'm Pauline Frommer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel.
1: And that's a conversation you can possibly get into. If you want to be on the show, either as a guest or to ask a question... Email me at fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. Beyond that conversation, though, we hope you'll visit us at other times of week, not just on the weekends. To do that, come to our website. You'll find it at fromers.com. That's spelled F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. And please follow us on social media. We've got a lot to say. You'll find a lot of great advice there for your upcoming vacation. You'll find the word fromers on Pinterest, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter.
0: Now, judging from the mail that we receive, a lot of our listeners are themselves becoming concerned. In fact, they're becoming extremely worried about the fact that their own trips to faraway destinations may be worsening the conditions of climate change. That is because the passenger airplanes that fly above the, the Earth in giant quantities every hour, those very planes are a major contributor to the climate change caused by their emission of harmful uh, carbon gases and the ships that they take on the world's oceans. They themselves, they emit a lesser amount of carbon, but still a considerable amount of it. So is it possible that we travelers ourselves are contributing to climate change by the airlines and ship lines that we use for our for international travels. Well, a great many airlines and ship lines are beginning to talk about this paradox. It is a paradox. But there seems to be only one company that is actually doing something about it. And that company, which you might keep in mind for your next trip, take out a pencil, Is a that company is a Norwegian firm called Hurtigruten, H-U-R-T-I-G-R-U-T. Kurt DeGruppen has recently launched a polar expedition ship called the Roald Amundsen, named after the famous polar explorer. They have launched a ship that contains a large interior room, literally lined with hundreds and hundreds of powerful batteries. And those batteries, when turned on emit a great deal of electricity to power the ship, cutting down on the need for energy created by fossil fuels. The name of that polar ship, once again, and by the way, it will also be making uh, cruises of the uh, Alaska coast in addition to going uh, to the polar itineraries. The name of that ship is the Roald Amundsen, named after the famous polar explorer, and it will soon be joined by another ship called the Friedhof Nansen. Also containing a large room of massive batteries, and although the Amundsen's creation of electric power from harmless substances account for only an, a, a fraction of the emission of carbon dioxide by themselves, nevertheless the company that creates those uh, those batteries is now claiming that its new batteries will be 400 percent more powerful and able to eliminate the need for fossil fossil fuels. In addition to taking these important steps to cut down on harmful emotions, uh, em- emissions emissions rather <laughs> <laughs> I have to remain scientific here. The Hertie Group line is also studying the use of gases from the world's decaying fish farms, of all things, huh. to substitute for even more of the fuels needed to power the uh, Roald Amundsen. So in another uh, few years, the, uh, the uh, Frydorf-Nansen w- will, will do the same, but I don't think you will smell the emission from the uh, de- deteriorating uh, fish. fish. But if you were worried about the carbon emissions of most current ships, Your remedy is to book one of the ships operated by the Hurtigruten line of Norway. While other companies are talking a good game about harmful emissions, Hurtigruten is actually doing something about it. And I believe that once mentioned on this program that Scientists are working on electric motors. We once did
1: yes, say yes. that mm-hmm. they're
0: working on electric motors that could power the needs of airplanes on at least short-haul trips.
1: The University of Stuttgart created a two-person model plane. I mean, it's an actual two-person plane that worked entirely on batteries and okay. had no emissions. So... That's a first Uh, step.
0: I doubt if that will serve to eliminate the need for fossil fuels for for (laughs) long-distance flights. But nevertheless, there are certain companies that that are working on the program. Pauline, let's now move to another topic that we have talked about on this program. We have always talked about various kinds of travelers who 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 encounter different problems when they go on an international trip we we've, we've talked about family travelers about female travelers about older uh, travelers and, and so on but now i think you should devote some attention to the problems encountered by homosexual travelers which are just as deserving as the earlier names sure. that, that, I, we, that I listed. They're
1: usually referred to as LGBTQ
0: because there's a wide range and, of And they encounter specific problems. Like so many of our listeners, I engage in business tra- dealings with a pair of gay travelers who have recently entered into a same-sex me- wedding. Mm-hmm. They have asked me to recommend a destination for their post nuptial Honey, uh, travelers, and I have responded by warning them that whole areas of the world are dangerous for homosexual travelers. Most of the Middle East, most of Africa are full of nations that regard homosexual activity as a crime, a crime that is punishable by imprisonment or, or worse. worse. Yeah. So gay travelers should definitely avoid countries located in those to regions. I, the, the I know world. that
1: South Africa is friendly to gay travelers. And I'm, I'm LGBTQ. absolutely certain,
0: Pauline, that that's an exception that proves yes. the rule. Let, okay. me, let me use another example. A number of my friends recently planned to travel to the film festival at Ramallah on the West Bank. Ramallah being the uh, de facto capital of the Palestinian Authority. But I have had to warn them. That the Palestinian Authority has also declared homosexual activity to be a crime, hmm. a crime punishment by imprisonment or worse. So I recommended to those people considering the film festival. I told them they should not go, and I don't know whether or not they they took my advice. But they wherever didn't. you look I know those and people travel, too. Wherever you look, you discover additional problems of that sort. Uh, For example, let me use another example. The famous Marriott hotel chain has recently announced that they are building and opening a large, luxurious new hotel, Guestware, in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Now, did they explore that nation's policies before making that decision? I am willing to bet that Saudi Arabia also maintains strict sanctions against homosexual travelers and gay people who opt to stay at the Saudi Arabian Marriott Hotel are risking a great ordeal of serious consequences. And although those programs diverge uh, from what we have normally been discussing on this program, I am willing to bet that women going to the saudi to saudi arabia and to especially to the saudi arabian marriott hotel that they also will be they will be compelled to begin with as a lesser uh, requirement they will be required to wear headscarves and not, and they will not be permitted uh, to go walking outside the hotel except when they are accompanied by a man to make matters worse saudi arabia has gigantic open issues confronting the murder a year ago of the journalist Khashoggi. uh, Mm. uh, And I asked myself, did Marriott consider those factors in deciding to operate a hotel in Saudi Arabia? I am afraid they could not have done so. And I, for one, would be astonished if any responsible American would stay in a hotel located in Saudi Arabia. And I, I, I wish to say Marriott Hotels you should be ashamed of yourself, Pauline. Have okay. I have I, have I uh, transgressed? Have well, I? Well, uh,
1: no, no. Uh, I it's, think it's
0: absolutely uh, uh, it's something normal that, that yes. we should concern ourselves with the problems faced by people who, who congregate with us every day of our lives. They yes. are homosexual travelers. We accept them in the United States. We permit them to engage in same-sex marriages. Sure. And we have an obligation to warn them against going to destinations where their very presence will cause them to be arrested. Well, there's at a least.
1: very, very good resource for LGBTQ travelers. It's a website called... OutTraveler.com. It's run by our friend Ed Salvato, uh, and it has lists of nations that are dangerous. It has advice. It has uh, also reviews of gay-friendly destinations and resorts and clubs and all kinds of facilities for the LGBTQ traveler. It's interesting. There are now cruises just for gay families. Uh, There are tours For LGBTQ travelers, it's a massive part of the travel uh, industry. In fact, because so many LGBTQ people don't have families, they have more disposable income. And so there are certain destinations that have been actively seeking their business, like the city of Montreal recently did a campaign to try and get more LGBTQ travelers. So, yes, they should be warned when it is dangerous, but there are many parts of the world that will be welcoming. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. Listening to the travel show, and I think you're going to find this next segment extremely helpful. To talk about how to legally write off your vacation, we have Michelle Barron on the line. She has an article with just that title on afar.com. Michelle is the travel news editor at Afar, and also we're proud to say she's written books on cruising for Fromers. Thank you so much for appearing on the travel show, Michelle it's great to be here. So, how can you legally write off your vacation? You can't write off every vacation, can you?
2: No. Um, so, first, let's define um, the parameters here. So, in order to be able to write off a trip, uh, you need to be self-employed. You need to be an entrepreneur, um, have your own business, um, and the reason is because uh, if you're employed, if you if you have an employer of some kind. Um, you can't actually write off your travel
1: expenses. You so. used to be able to, but they just changed the tax law, right? E-
2: exactly. So the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that President Trump signed into law at the end of 2017, which went into this, into effect at, in 2018, um, that changed things for employees. You yeah. used to be able to write off expenses that um, that your employer did not reimburse you for. Unfortunately, you can't do that anymore.
1: Yeah. So if you're a freelancer or you might want to be become, um, oh, what is it? Uh, to, in order to write off expenses, like if you work with different clients, uh, what do you have a to?
2: contractor yes. or a consultant. You want to set up your own business. You want to become a bona fide business owner.
1: Okay, so let's say you are a bona fide business owner and you are traveling for work, but you're going to attach a vacation to that. You say it's better to have the vacation in the middle of the business trip rather than at the beginning or the end. Why is that?
2: That's because, that's so that you can uh, deduct the expenses to get to and from the destination. So if you if you you know squeeze in, sandwich in a couple of vacation days in the middle of the trip. Then your travel expenses are still deductible because your business took place at the beginning, at the end, and the end of the trip. Um, so you can still deduct, say, you know, your flight or uh, the drive to and from uh, wherever you went. The other thing worth noting is that in the U.S., if you if you traveled somewhere within the United States, you only need to work four and a half hours a day, or more than fifty percent of the day, for the day to be considered. Uh, a, a work business, day, you know, huh. business. A work
3: day, exactly.
2: So, if you think about it, four and a half day, four and a half hours, that leaves a lot of hours in the day where you could be some be doing something non-business related um, and still be able to claim some of the expenses uh, that
1: took place during that day. So, you have to work four and a half hours a day. What else do you have to do to prove to the IRS that you are not on vacation, that you're on a business trip, and this should be write-offable?
2: Well, obviously, you want to document everything. You want to make sure that you have receipts for if you're attending a conference, if you have client meetings, you want to make sure you have safe emails that you conducted between yourself and a client. You want to make sure you have receipts for the conference if you did Had a business meal. Um, Any kind of documentation, uh, receipts for obviously for your hotel and for any other expenses. Document, document, document. Log everything. If you you know even go so far as put together a daily log of events to show uh, you know seminars you attended, client meetings you had. You really need to be thorough in your documentation to prove that you did in fact work the majority of the day.
1: We are speaking with Michelle Barron. She is the travel news editor for Afar magazine and Afar.com. You can read the article that we're discussing right now on that site. It's called How to Legally Write Off Your Vacation. Now, there's a difference between traveling internationally and traveling domestically in terms of what you can write off. Can you go through the differences?
2: Yeah. And I thought, I found this very interesting. So in the U S it's an all or nothing test. So basically if you spent more than 50% of your time on business, um, then it's been that day is deduct, you know, that is considered a work day and it's deductible. Um, but if not, if you spent 50% or less of your day conducting business, it's not deductible. Um, and, and, you know, so, so it's very cut and dry internationally. It's a little bit different. It's, the deduction is proportionate so if you spend you know say 30 or 40 percent of your time doing business um, during the day in another country then 30 or 40 percent is deductible huh. which is interesting because while you're not getting the, you know, the full deduction, I feel like that gives you a little bit more leeway in terms of how you split your day between business and leisure time.
1: But when you're abroad, so thirty or forty percent of your of your time will be deductible. But you couldn't deduct like a museum entry unless you're in that field. You couldn't deduct <laughs> an amusement park entry, even if you're abroad, right? Of course, so
2: of course, the expenses need to be related to your business, and they also need to be ordinary and necessary and this part is also important to note so if you you know stay normally when you go on business, if you stay at modest hotels, um, if you suddenly book yourself a five star luxury resort that's going to raise red flags, huh. you need to stay at the at the type of accommodation that you normally stay at when you go on business trips.
1: And that's just in case you get stopped by the IRS and they, how do we, do you happen to know uh, how often they, they look into this? Um, I
2: don't, but I think everybody who files their taxes should always be prepared to be audited and you want to make sure that you have all of the, you know, necessary documentation and that you don't have anything that would raise red flags. So something like that, like the, you know, a sudden expense that is, is much higher than usual um uh
1: well, you know like i said would raise red right price. right you also say and i thought i had no idea that this was the case if you need to do laundry or dry cleaning or shoe shine expenses when you get home that could be deductible i also did not <laughs> that blew my <laughs> mind like that yeah
2: me too i had no idea so i was also uh pleasantly surprised by um by that tidbit that yes you apparently laundry dry cleaning shoe shine expenses are acceptable expenses when you return home um i guess presuming that your your attire is an important part of uh conducting business so i think that's a, a interesting added perk that people should consider um if they are traveling you know right. for business and leisure
1: <laughs> yeah no absolutely well it's a really really helpful, detailed article. Uh, We went through most of it here, but if you want to read it again, and I I suggest you do, go to AFAR.com. It's called How to Legally Write Off Your Vacation. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to The Travel Show. We have on the line a returning guest because she always has such interesting articles on The Washington Post uh, in their paper and on WashingtonPost.com. Her name is Jennifer Barger. Welcome back to The Travel Show. It's great to be back. And so I got to ask, your most recent article is called A Bed, A Bath, and a Whiff, Whiff of Jasmine. Hotels try to lure customers with signature scents and as in odors. Did you think of this article because you walked into a hotel and and recognized that that everything was perfumed?
3: I did. And it was also something that kind of gradually dawned on me. Um, because it, I think I first noticed it maybe five or six years ago in Morocco, where it seems like everything smells like jasmine and orange mm, blossom. Yeah. Sometimes that's the environment, you know, sometimes there's a tree, or sometimes someone's burning a candle. But right. I increasingly have noticed it in the U.S. I noticed that the new edition in New York City, um, because it's in Times Square, which as you probably know is pretty smelly. But you walk into the addition, and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, it doesn't smell like Times Square anymore. And so right. that's kind of where I got the idea.
1: Well, I actually noticed it for the first time a couple of years back at a hotel in New York too, called One Central Park West. And it's this hotel that tries to be very eco, very green, and it just smelled like fresh herbs. And I said to the I said to the person who was showing me around uh, is I, somebody cooking? And she said, "Oh no, that's our signature scent."
3: Uh, so, how common is this? I think it's very common. Um, I because as I dug deeper into this, I found out that even the Holiday Inn and um, or maybe Holiday Inn Express that the Holiday Inn and Best Western even have scents. And usually, what happens is a brand, say, Edition or Holiday Inn. Um, that they want the same scent across their brands. so when you walk into say a Weston it will it will smell like every other Weston huh. um yeah sometimes
1: often, though sometimes it's the smell of cleaning fluids and that gives me a headache I, I found that to be a problem <laughs> I, are these scents being used to cover those uh, 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 smells
3: well you know they no one would ever tell you that right <laughs> so so I, I don't think that that I really do think it's it's a very competitive hotel world out there right and what the people many of the people making these fragrances because they're a big you know they're big companies it's sure. a big business now is they will tell you it's just anything to sort of get a leg up on the other hotel anything to make you go oh gosh if it smells if it smells like Marriott, I, I've got to get back here. So I don't think so. Maybe you know, maybe it is at a, at a you know at a rickety motel somewhere. But I think I think for the most part, it's it's more the branding.
1: We sp- we're speaking with Jen Barger, who wrote a fascinating article called "A Bed, a Bath, and a Whiff of, Whiff of Jasmine." Hotels try to lure customers with signature scents. Where are they getting these air perfumes from?
3: So that is an interesting um, thing. So there are big um, big companies that do this. They call themselves either olfactory marketing companies or or just signature scent makers. So they'll often create a scent for you if you have a hotel, say the Hotel Pauline, they'll say, <laughs> what's it going to look like? What's your message? You know, is it eco-friendly or is it edgy and acidified? And they'll they'll use various things about either what you're saying the hotel is or what the hotel looks like, or maybe even where it is to create a scent and they'll go back and forth with you to be sure you like it. And um, that's one way you can get it. And some people, like I talked to Liz Lambert um, behind the bunkhouse group down in Texas, who does all those really hip, cool kid hotels mm. um, like Hotel Santa Cecilia, and things like that. And she's, She's just got her own personality, and she just chooses different incenses. They're, you know, oftentimes just really inexpensive ones, like Nag um, Nag Champa from India, um, which I believe that she uses that in their hotel in San Antonio because she she doesn't buy into someone else creating a
1: scent. Right? She wants to create her own. Wow.
3: Yeah, yeah. This is what I this is what I think this hotel should smell like. So I think, and sometimes they'll pair with a. with a local or international um, uh, perf- perfume or perfumier, if you will. Huh. Um, so I know Lalabo, uh, which is a French brand, does the addition scent. Um.
1: Does the the addition hotels, uh, which are created by Ian Schrager, the, the king of cool hotels. I know, I know. But I got to ask, has there been any pushback? I'm a person who... I actually used to like perfumes. I no longer wear perfumes because they give me a headache. In fact, if I'm close to somebody who's wearing too much perfume, I, I actually get an, I'm not saying that metaphorically, I get an actual headache.
3: No, I, and so um, I did talk to, um, I talked to at least one real person um, that, you know, some people really don't like this. One of the things that is usually happening is it's usually not piped into the room. It's huh. usually, if if you have a signature scent in the room, it's probably only in the shampoo or the lotion. And so it, it is generally not in your room. I know that at many hotels you can ask for a hypoallergenic room, but again, they're not, they're putting it in the lobby or some of the public spaces. But yeah, there are some people that don't like it. And so I think that that is a, I haven't found it to be overwhelming. I don't find that I've gone into hotels and you know started coughing because they're over scented. Right. But I do think it's something. I, I think they have to be careful to temper it. So there is a bit of a bit of pushback, and some companies won't use it. Um, I talked to a safari company. There, there are some logical places where, well,
1: in there. nature sites, as you say in your piece people want to smell the area around you because it's so beautiful and and, and natural and you don't need artificial scents. We've been speaking with Jen Barger, a very interesting article in the Washington Post. It's called A Bed, a Bath and a Whiff, Whiff of Jasmine. Thank you so much for appearing on The Travel Show.
3: Great. Thanks so much, Pauline.
1: Welcome back to The Travel Show. One of my favorite articles recently is by our next guest, Nevin Martell. He wrote a charming piece on how to travel solo with your child so you both actually enjoy it. Welcome to The Travel Show, Nevin.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So for those who haven't read the article, and it's on the Washington Post, uh, Nevin uh, contributes there as a freelancer. Um, Why did you decide to travel solo with your child? And tell us a little bit about your kid.
4: Yeah, I'd been traveling a lot with my family growing up, and it was a tradition I wanted to continue uh, when I had a son. But... My dad always took us on wild escapades that weren't always the best fit for the younger members of the family and i wanted to make sure (laughs) that i did it right with my boy, so that all of his memories were positive and it would be a tradition that he would continue on and so i waited until i felt like he was at a mature enough age he was six when we went on the trip and i really wanted to come up with an itinerary that would kind of keep him engaged um kind of really fulfill him but also kind of push him sometimes because I feel that part of travel is introducing people to new experiences, um, both externally and internally.
1: Yeah, and so you chose the Cayman Islands. You actually left the United States. Why did you choose that destination?
4: The thing I love about the Cayman Islands is that from D.C., even with the layover, it's only a six-hour trip. If you take a direct flight, it's even quicker. Um, It's very family-friendly. You know, there's adventurous elements, but, you know, it's not hiking up Machu Picchu or sailing out to a you know some deserted island in the Vanuatu archipelago maybe um, when
1: he's twice this age when he's 12 yeah, or so
4: yeah maybe if his if his mom slash my wife yes do it we'll see about that <laughs>
1: right and so you give some very good tips on what worked what didn't what you should do as a single parent because when you're traveling as a solo parent with your kid there's no off time or is there
4: well, I always tried to build in a little bit of me time amidst all the we time. And for me, that meant waking up about an hour before he got up. So I could have a cup of coffee. I could kind of, you know, clear my head, um, you know, just get the day's schedule set uh, in my mind. And, you know, just really breathe for a moment. Because when you're traveling with your kid, I mean, you're on all the time. I yeah. mean, you know, it's um, you're constantly watching them. You're constantly thinking about what you're doing and what you're doing next, and even though that's a lot of fun and can be really enjoyable, um, there is a work element to it. And so I think it's important for parents to take time
1: Yeah. And you said for those who don't like to wake up early, maybe they stay up later and have a nice cocktail while the kid sleeps. We're speaking with Nevin Martell. He has a lovely article in the Washington Post called How to Travel Solo with Your Child So You Both Actually Enjoy It. Let's talk about the enjoyable part of it. For a kid, that means activities. And that's, so how do you find a place with appropriate activities?
4: Yeah, well, my son Zephyr is six years old, and you know he's a really adventurous, active kid. And so, I wanted to combine some things that were, you know, outdoor oriented. We went to the botanical gardens there, where they have these just gorgeous native blue iguanas, and we hiked through the park and got up and close and personal with the the lizards. And then, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we took a catamaran cruise um, out to Stingray City, which the islands are known for, yeah. where all the stingrays go, and. We tried snorkeling and it didn't work out well for him, but then we went on to a reef. And um, thanks to a really helpful uh, guide on the boat, he uh, let my son hang onto a a life, uh, like a life ring, and pulled him around while I held his hand and kind of hung out with him. And you know, that was just amazing because, you know, he got to get really up close and personal with all this reef life and he got really excited about snorkeling. And um, that's definitely gonna be something that we do on the next trip together. So, you know, anytime we go to a tropical location,
1: it's amazing that you got that kind of personal uh, attention from the guide. And he understood that your son had been scared at first and needed just a little bit of extra help. And uh, but you also say beyond the activities, it's really important not to over schedule when you're traveling with a kid. Why is that?
4: I think that's the number one rule. And I think a lot of people when they travel feel like they need to pack in everything they can into a schedule because this may be the only time we go somewhere so let's see as much of it as we can and I think, I don't really like that style of travel anyway but I think with a kid it it becomes, um, it's a real negative because um, you'll burn out the kid, you'll burn out yourself Um, like I say, you'll want a vacation from your vacation at the end of it Um, just pick a few things, I like to pick one thing major in the morning, one thing major in the afternoon and you know just really savor the experiences that you do want to have because You'll get more out of them and you'll have the energy to really appreciate them.
1: Yeah. As a mom, I found actually sometimes the downtime, which for me, often I'd be in Europe with my child and we'd have Mm -hmm. to find a playground because she always needed, both of them always needed to run around and let off some steam. And that's when I met locals and talked Mm -hmm. to people and got to relax myself. And it was always a really great time in the trip. Was your wife jealous? The pictures look like she should have been.
4: She was a little jealous, but, you know, she was really happy that throughout the trip, you know, we FaceTimed with her. We texted, you know, I emailed pictures and, uh, you know, we made sure to bring back a couple of thoughtful souvenirs. But, you know, she was a little jealous, but I think that we handled it the best way possible. (laughs) So she felt like she was a part of the experience. Right.
1: Well, it's a it's a fascinating article. It's really terrific. It's go to The Washington Post. It's called How to Travel Solo with Your Child so you both actually enjoy it. Thank you so much, Nevin.
4: Thank you so much for having me. This was a really nice call.
1: Welcome back to The Travel Show. We started this show talking about the things that can go wrong in travel. We're going to end it for at least this hour uh, talking about that a little bit more. There was a Norwegian cruise line sailing recently that passengers are up in arms about because they claim that uh, stops were skipped. That the the, uh, the cruise was supposed to go to Amsterdam. It was supposed to go to Scotland, and it was also supposed to go to one port in Ireland. And they skipped all of those port stops because they said the weather was bad. Beyond that, apparently there was huge problems with the sewage system. It failed and a sour, terrible, foul odor came up. And they claim that Norwegian cruise lines Cut the Internet so that they couldn't start posting complaints on social media. (laughs) Oh, my. And uh, about everything that went wrong. Now, to take the first part of this first, when you take a cruise, there's something called the contract of carriage. You have signed it. You have a contract with the cruise line.
0: That's right. And you do not go sailing into the middle of a hurricane. If if there was poor weather. That endangered the ship. The Norwegian cruise line was absolutely right to change the itinerary. They, they
1: promise end. no port stops. Actually, in the contract of carriage, you you do not have the right to go to the port stops that you were told you would go to.
0: If there's mm. bad weather affecting those port stops, right?
1: And to, right? and it's interesting. And in, was there? Well, the news report I read says allegedly bad weather. Allegedly, but, you know, here. it's interesting. I mean, there are ocean currents. When this was happening, there was a major storm hitting Japan. It's possible? Could, do you think it's possible that the ocean currents could have been so roiled by that storm thousands of miles away that it but could have...
0: Japan is on the other side of the I know, globe I know, from where they traveled. I know,
1: I have been, you know. I have been hearing about ocean currents recently, and sometimes they really can travel thousands of miles. So maybe uh-huh. that is the, the case. The fact, though, that they had this terrible odor on deck because of the
0: sewage system that's going wrong, yes, that's that.
1: something different. And the fact that they cut off the internet, that also seems right. to be stepping on their toes. Did the
0: ship get onto the intercom to tell the passengers that they would be compensated for this restricted itinerary?
1: I know, well they said that the, according to uh, the guests they said that they were told that we're very sorry about this inconvenience and they're going to give them 25% off a future cruise. Oh,
0: that's nothing. Yes, yeah. that's nothing. No wonder. <laughs>
1: so everybody's up in arms because they probably don't want to cruise on and Norwegian again. what did the do?
0: Did they picket the captain's cabin? I have cabin? no idea. I have no <laughs>
1: idea. It's a very interesting story out right now, but it's good for people to know you are not guaranteed any ports. That's one of the reasons they, they tell people who are getting married to do it on the boat. Don't plan to do it on a specific island because you may not make it to the island. We have to take a break. Thank you so much for listening. To those who are traveling a hearty bon voyage.